The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I send it. Welcome to another program with Truths to Live By, a ministry of Harriman Baptist Tabernacle in Harriman, Tennessee. You're listening to Brother Benjamin Cooley. I pray we would be a blessing to you today. With our Bibles open again to 1 Corinthians 14, we want you to look to verse number 26. After a word of prayer, we'll begin our reading there together. Father, we come now in Jesus' name, and Lord, I thank you for this time to preach your word. I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the price he paid on Calvary, for he is the ransom for all. He is our propitiation before God for our sins but not for ours only, also for the sins of the whole world. And I bless your name for salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. And I glory and rejoice that I am washed in his precious blood. And so we glory in the blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord today, which blood has been shed and has been sprinkled on the mercy seat there in heaven and it is sufficient for our eternal redemption. We offer our prayer now, and we rejoice in the surety of Christ's blood. Amen and amen. Now we look to 1 Corinthians 14 and verse number 26. And now we begin a new section in the chapter. Verses 1 through 25 gave us the saints' edification in the church or in the assembly of believers. And now, verses 26 through 40, we look at the saints' experience at the church or at the assembly. So in verse 26, there should be a discernible order in the service. Look to the Word of God. How is it then, brethren, when ye come together, every one of you hath a psalm, hath a doctrine, hath a tongue, hath a revelation, hath an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edify. So eagerness must be in order. 
I thank the Lord for someone who comes to the house of God with something on their heart. But Paul says, how is it, brethren, that all of you, every single one of you, has a psalm, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation, that they were eager. And thank God for eagerness, but it must be in order. And so when the saints came together at the church in Corinth, it was not order. It was general chaos that soon broke out in the church. Everyone was so eager to speak that everyone began to speak. There was no order. There was no courtesy. And so Paul will begin to lay down some rules in the next few verses. Not only eagerness must be in order, but edifying is always in order. Notice the last phrase in verse 26 again. Let all things be done unto edifying. Edifying. There's the right pursuit. There's the right priority. There's the right perspective. Edification, which would issue from prophesying more so, and it should be preferred over and against tongues. Not only a discernible order, but a designated order in the service. Verses 27 through 33. First, he lays down rules for those who would speak in tongues. Look to verse 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, a tongue unknown to the congregation, but it would be intelligible to one who would interpret. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So verses 27 through 28, rules for those who would speak in tongues. Verse 27, there is a divine course for them to follow. It should be done, he said, by course or in an order, not all at the same time, but first one and then the second or at the most the third. No more than three. There's a divine course, but then there is a divine condition, and let one interpret. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church. Those few words would silence every charismatic congregation if they were following the word of the Lord. But we know they are not and we must stand against their chaos. We must stand against their confusion. It is of the devil, and I am aware many of those people are just hoodwinked and deceived, and they're ignorant, and they need to be led out of that and led to the Lord and brought to the truth of the gospel that they might come to know the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then he says, and let him speak to himself and to God. So the condition is there must be an interpreter. If there is not, then silence is commanded. Now he gives forth rules for those who would speak forth truth. He's dealing now with prophesying. Look to verse 29. Let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. Verse 29, the prophet was to know his place. Some would be needed to declare the truth, and then some 
would be needed to discriminate the truth or to judge that truth and therefore to show forth its worthiness for acceptance in the congregation as there would have been many false spirits imitating and trying to deceive God's people as they sought to imitate the work of the Holy Spirit of God. The prophet was to know his place in verse 29. But now we see how the prophet was to hold his peace in verses 30 through 33. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. So why would the prophet need to hold his peace? First of all, it would be for the sake of the revelation of truth. Verse 30, there is the progression of the prophecy. Evidently, God would reveal portions of the truth to two or three prophets in a gathering of believers. The first would speak, and then God would begin to reveal further truth to bring clarity and understanding to the prophecy. The first would then sit down, hold his peace, and the second would enlarge upon the prophecy. And all the while, as we learned earlier, back up in verse 29, the prophecy was being judged by the others in the congregation for its faithfulness to that which had been revealed unto the apostles and prophets. And such order and progression would give forth solidarity and authenticity to the revelation being given. And brethren, let me remind you that such order and progression is foreign to the modern day gatherings who adhere to the tongues movement. They emphasize the operation of the sign gifts such as tongues, and there is no sort of order, and they speak about prophesying as well, but it is not done in this scriptural fashion. There's the progression of the prophecy in the revelation of truth, but then there is the purpose of the prophecy in the revelation of truth. Verse 31, it would be for everyone's learning in the Christian life, then also for everyone's living of the Christian life. So for the sake of the revelation of God, but then for the sake of the reflection of God. In verses 32 and 33, God brings proper subjection among the prophets. The prophet's spirit, or the spirits of the prophets, the individual prophets, the individual men, now come into view. Paul is speaking to them of their own powers of reason and restraint and response. The prophet's human spirit was to be under the direct influence of the Holy Spirit and not that of another spirit. The reflection of being spirit-filled and being spirit-led will show in their subjection or self-control. So the prophet's spirit, but then the prophet's self-control. They are subject to the prophets. The prophets themselves would not be wild, out of control. They can will of themselves to be still and to be silent 
that is to hold his peace, if need be. The Holy Ghost leads men to exhibit faith, meekness, temperance. So God brings proper subjection among the prophets that he might bring proper stability among the churches. There is order in the churches. Look at verse 33 again. For God is not the author of confusion. There is order in the churches when God is in the church and when God is in control. He does not bring chaos. He does not bring confusion, but rather order and dignity into the assembly. Not only order, but oneness in the churches. When God is in the church and God is in control, He brings peace and stability into the midst, and there will be a unified unfolding of truth and the glory, majesty, and dignity of God will be revealed in the midst of the churches. God would not work through confusion and disorder in one assembly and then not in all the others. And so what Paul is proving here is that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And he will work with order and dignity in all the assemblies, not according to some sort of charismatic, chaotic, spasmodic matter or manner of being and doing. And so there should be a discernible order and then a designated order to the service of the church. We thank you for making this ministry a part of your day. And in closing, we want to point you to the words of our Lord in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. He answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And truly it is written. God's word, every word, presents us with truths to live by. You've been listening to Brother Benjamin Cooley. Please send all correspondence to Truths to Live By, P.O. Box 575, Harriman, Tennessee, 37748. Or you can email us at bmarkcooley at gmail.com. And finally, brethren, pray for us.